G'day, my name is Jeff. We're going to look together at 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21, last one in our series in this letter of John. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open? We're going to read through this passage, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Uh, also, it will help you if uh, you've got downloaded and printed the outline of the talk, even some space in there to write some notes if you would like to. Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to look together at this letter of John, for the way that it's told us about the, the truth, about Jesus, about him being the Son of God, about him offering us eternal life. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we look at it for this one last time, that you will um, help us to understand what it says and comfort and assure us with the knowledge that it provides. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a while ago I was talking to a non-Christian. I was trying to tell him about Jesus and, and he said this to me. He said, look, I don't mind that you believe in Jesus. That's, that's your business. Uh, if you find it helpful, good on you. That's great. But, but what annoys me is this. What annoys me, it, it's the way that you insist that you're right and everyone else is wrong. You think you know the truth about Jesus, but no one else does. It's just plain arrogance. I mean, what makes you so much smarter than everyone else? It's a reasonable point to raise, isn't it? I mean, there are plenty of very smart non-Christians out there, including non-Christians who know the Bible very well. So... Why do we think that we know the truth about Jesus and they don't? Why do we think we're right and they're wrong? L let me give you an example. The other day, my family and I were watching uh, a TV show with Jeremy Clarkson. You know, the, the bloke from Top Gear, Jeremy? Um, in the show, he's doing some farming. And uh, he, uh, during the course of the show, he, he spills some seeds... And he, he makes a kind of a quick aside, a joke about being like Onan. Now, I reckon the vast majority of Christians wouldn't get the reference. Onan is, is, is quite an obscure character in the book of Genesis. This bloke, Jeremy Clarkson, he, he's extremely smart. He's highly educated. He knows the Bible better than most Christians. But he thinks we're wrong about Jesus. So, what makes you think you know the truth about Jesus, but Jeremy doesn't? What makes you think you're right and he's wrong? Well, let me give you another example. Bart D. Ehrman. Bart D. Ehrman is the James A. Gray Distinguished Professor of New Testament at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Professor Ehrman, he, uh, he completed his Master of Divinity and his PhD at uh, Princeton, Princeton Seminary. Uh, in 1985, his doctoral dissertation was awarded Magna Cum, uh, magna cum Laude. Magna Cum Laude. Um, He's an expert on the history of early Christianity and on the New Testament. Uh, Professor Ehrman has written um, or edited 30 books, 
numerous scholarly articles and dozens of book reviews. Five of his books have, five of his books have been on the New York Times bestseller list. He's, uh, his books have been translated into uh, 27 different languages. Uh, Ehrman grew up as a Christian. Let, 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 me, let me quote from, uh, from him as he tells his story. For most of my life, I was a devout and committed Christian. I was baptised in a congregational church and reared as an Episcopalian. Early in my high school days, I started attending a Youth for Christ club and had a born-again experience. When I became born again, it was like ratcheting my religion up a notch. I became very serious about my faith and chose to go off to a fundamentalist Bible college, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, where I began training for ministry. I worked hard at learning the Bible, some of it by heart. I could quote entire books of the New Testament, verse by verse, from memory. When I graduated from Moody, I went off to finish my college work at Wheaton, an evangelical Christian college in Illinois, also Billy Graham's alma mater. There I learned Greek so that I could read the New Testament in its original language. From there I decided that I wanted to commit my life to studying the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament and chose to go to Princeton Theological Seminary, a Presbyterian school. Ehrman grew up as a Christian. He did uh, theological study. But then, as he did his postgraduate studies at Princeton, Ehrman changed his mind about Jesus. He writes this. I realised that I could no longer reconcile the claims of faith with the facts of life. In particular, I could no longer explain how there can be a good and all-powerful God actively involved with this world given the state of things. For many people who inhabit this planet, life is a cesspool of misery and suffering. I came to, the point, came to a point where I simply could not believe that there is a good and kindly disposed ruler who is in charge of it all. About nine or ten years ago, I finally admitted defeat and acknowledged that I was an agnostic. I don't know if there is a God, but I think that if there is one, he certainly isn't the one proclaimed by the Judeo-Christian tradition, the one who is actively and powerfully involved in this world. I now have lost my faith altogether. I no longer go to church no longer believe, no longer consider myself a Christian. This is a professor of New Testament, one of the most highly educated and informed people about Jesus in the world. He, he's smarter than you. He's, he's more informed than you are about Jesus, and he thinks Jesus isn't God, didn't die for our sins, wasn't buried, and can't get us to heaven. So why do you reckon you're right and he's wrong? What makes you think you know the truth about Jesus, but a distinguished professor of New Testament doesn't? You have to admit, it does make us sound a bit arrogant, don't you reckon? The Apostle John's original readers, the original readers of this letter, they were Jews who put their faith in Jesus. But they had among them people who'd given up on Jesus. People who are arguing that Jesus isn't the Christ, that he didn't die for their sins and rise again. And they were trying to get John's readers to join with them, to deny Jesus and go back to Judaism. They were trying, John says, to lead his readers astray. Now, no doubt, um, their family and friends and the ex-Christians, 
they, they were smart people, informed people, maybe people who had even been in church with them and heard the same sermons, uh, maybe people who come from John's church, heard from John himself. Uh, so, so John's readers would have been in a similar position to us. How could they know the truth? How do they know who to believe? How could they know if they're right and all these smart, educated, well-informed people around them are wrong? How are they supposed to know the real story about Jesus? John starts off this last section of his letter by telling his readers why he's writing. He's writing, he says, because he wants them to know something. He wants them to know if they're believing in Jesus, they do have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Have a look with me. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants his readers to know it, to know they have eternal life. Whatever their family might think, whatever their friends might think, whatever their community might think, whatever the ex-Christians might say, John wants them to know the truth. If they're trusting Jesus, eternal life is theirs. And what John does now for the rest of the letter, he moves from um, speaking in the second person to, to you... Um, to, to speaking in the first person plural. He talks about we. And he talks about a heap of things that we know. Who's the we? Well, certainly it's John himself. Also, it's, it's the other apostles who, like John, saw and heard and touched Jesus. These, those people who knew John in person. The we here, it's, it's John and the other apostles. And John talks about the things that they know. John says, firstly, he says, he and the other apostles, they know that God hears their prayers and answers them according to his will. John says, he says that we have confidence about it. Verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. John and the apostles know that God hears their prayers. Now, while he's on the topic of prayer, John addresses his readers again. He starts talking about you again. And, and he, says, he says that they should pray for each other. Pray about sins, he says, that don't lead to death. What are the sins that don't lead to death? We already know it from chapter 1. John's talking about any sin for a person who's relying on Jesus. Remember chapter 1 and verse 7? Chapter 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So John says, pray for each other about sin that doesn't lead to death. John does also say that there is a sin that leads to death. In context, this is the sin of denying Jesus. It's the sin of the ex-Christians. John says, there's no point praying that God will forgive a person who's denying Jesus. God's not going to do it. If you are going to pray for a person like that, pray they'll put their faith in Jesus. Don't, don't, don't bother asking God to forgive them if they're not trusting Jesus. Pray that they'll put their faith in Jesus because it's the only way to be forgiven. 
there is sin that leads to death. But if you're trusting Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sin. And so John says to his readers, ask God for this forgiveness. Verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay. Uh, There's the first thing John says that he and the other apostles know. God hears and answers their prayers. He offers forgiveness. He offers life to those in Christ. John now goes on to talk about more things that he and the other apostles know. He says, we, we know that people who are born again will turn away from sin, that they, they, will, they, will, they, will, they will do their very best to stop sinning. And also we know that Jesus protects them from the devil. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God, that's Jesus, keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. John also says, we know that that we are children of God and we know that the world, that is the world of people who reject Jesus, they're under the devil's control. Verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. John also says, we, he and the apostles, they they know that Jesus taught them the truth. They knew Jesus personally. They knew Jesus personally. They they knew that he rose from the dead. And so they knew that Jesus had had taught them the the truth about God. And they knew that Jesus is God. And they knew that Jesus is the only one who gives relationship with God and, and the only one who gives eternal life. Verse 20, we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John and the apostles, they know things. They know God hears and answers their prayers. They know God protects those who trust Jesus, turns them away from sin. They know that those who trust Jesus are God's children. They know Jesus taught them the truth about God. They know how to have relationship with God. They know how to have eternal life. They know all this stuff. And how do they know? How does John know what he knows about Jesus? He didn't read it in a book. He didn't study it at university. He didn't watch it on TV. He didn't do a Google search. And he didn't make it up. How did John know what he knows about Jesus? How did the other apostles know what they knew about Jesus? It goes back to the very beginning of this letter, doesn't it? John said, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. How did John know what he knows about Jesus? He heard Jesus speak with his own ears. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. For three years, he was with the man, Jesus. He saw him alive. He saw his miracles. He he, he saw him die on the cross. 
and then he saw him alive again. Uh, John, he touched Jesus when he was alive. Even after he was resurrected, he touched Jesus. He felt the nail marks in Jesus' resurrected flesh. John knew the truth about Jesus. Not because he was smarter than anyone else. Not because he was better educated than anyone else. This isn't a question of intelligence. John knew the truth because he was there. He was an eyewitness. And so John finishes with one final command for his readers. He says, Stick with the Jesus that we've taught you about. Don't go after anything else. Anything else is a false god. Anything else is an idol. Stick with Jesus, the true God and eternal life. Verse 21. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. All right. Can you see what's here in this passage? John is writing because he wants his readers to know the truth. To know the truth. If they are relying on Jesus, they have eternal life. And then he tells his readers a whole heap of things that he and the other apostles know. They know this stuff. They know God hears and answers their prayers. They know that God forgives and gives life in response to prayer. They know that God is working in them to turn them from sin. They know that God is at work in them, protecting them from the devil. They know that they are God's children in a world under the control of the devil. They know that Jesus is God. They know that he told them the truth about God. They know that Jesus is the one who can bring them into relationship with God. They know that Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. They know all these things... And so John says to his readers, stick with this Jesus. Stick with this Jesus we told you about. Don't go off after any other thing. Don't go off after any other idols. Okay. Okay, let, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. And, and, and to do that, what I want us to do, I want us to come back to the, the question that we asked at the beginning. Now, this world is full of smart, well-informed, literate non-Christians, even biblically literate non-Christians. So how can we know that they're wrong and we're right about Jesus? Is, is that just arrogance on our part? Is it arrogant for us to think we're right, they're wrong? Well, the first thing to say is this. It's not so much that we're saying... We ourselves know the truth about Jesus. I mean, how could we? we? We weren't there. We didn't see Jesus alive. We didn't hear him teach or watch him do miracles. We didn't see Jesus die. We didn't see him resurrected. We don't ourselves know the truth about Jesus at all. We're not making any claim about ourselves, about what we know or how smart we are. That's not what this is about. Second thing to say is this. It's not really a question of how smart you are or how smart anyone is. I mean, you can have an IQ of 200. 
You can have 100 degrees in theology, you can have memorised the whole Bible, and you're still yourself in no position to know the truth about Jesus because you still weren't there. There is no one alive today who can tell us with any real authority what genuinely happened with Jesus. Doesn't matter how smart they are. Doesn't matter how many degrees they have. There is no one alive today who can tell us the true story. But the Apostle John could. He could tell us the truth. He and the other people who were there, they were in a position to know the real story. And friends, I believe that John and the other apostles, I believe they were telling the truth. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, they, they had nothing to gain by lying. In fact, they almost to a man suffered terribly for telling people what they knew about Jesus. They were tortured, they were whipped, they were imprisoned, they were, they were murdered, they were ex exiled, they, they were crucified, killed with swords. And, and despite all the threats, despite all the pain, despite all of the, the, the terrible things they went through, not one of them changed their story. Not one of them said, sorry, actually we were just making it up. No, no, no. What did they say under the most intense pressure? They said, we cannot help talking about what we've seen and heard. We Christians who believe in Jesus, we're not saying that we're smarter than anyone else. We're not saying that we know better than anyone else. All we're saying is this. We believe John. We believe the other apostles who wrote the New Testament. We believe the people who were there. We believe the eyewitnesses who wrote about Jesus. That's not arrogant. It, it's, it's not even anything unusual. And people do that kind of thing all the time. Just this morning, I went out to do a job, um, came back home, came into the bedroom, and Carmelina said to me, she said, what's it like outside? I said, it's cold and it's wet. And what happened? Carmelina believed me and she put on warm clothes and packed an umbrella. I was out there. I knew the truth. I had no reason to tell a lie. And so she believed me. It's, 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 just, it's just a very ordinary thing. You do that a hundred times a day. We, we, we take the word of people who were there who we trust. We believe eyewitnesses. I, I think the whole argument about about Christians being arrogant I think it's I think it's misguided it's not like we're saying we're smarter than anyone else we're not doing anything except believing the people who were there and I do I do believe the people who were there and sorry but I think that the people who were there are in a better position to know the truth than some bloke 2,000 years later, who happens to have some theological degrees. I think the people who were there are in a better position to know the truth about Jesus than anyone today. No matter how smart they are, how big their IQ is, how many degrees they have. It's not about arrogance. 
It's just about believing the eyewitnesses. But friends, I, I don't want to finish this letter of John by just dealing with some argument, because what John is doing here is much more precious than that. John is telling us the truth about Jesus so that we can know for ourselves that we have eternal life. And friends, that truth, that is great news. That's great news, isn't it? Are you trusting in Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Then here's some stuff you can know, not not just vaguely hope for. Here's stuff you can know based on the evidence of the eyewitnesses, of the people who knew Jesus. Here's stuff you can know. You are a child of God. God is your loving father. Your sin has been forgiven, all of it, past, present and future. God is listening to your prayers. Jesus is protecting you and holding on to you. He is helping you to turn away from sin now and the day is coming when he will transform you and raise you to life and you will be with Jesus and without sin forever. In Jesus, you have eternal life. That would have been a great comfort to John's original readers, surely, wouldn't it? as they face the challenges of the ex-Christians. But friends, it's not just good news for them, is it? This, this is great news for us as well, isn't it? Uh, Bart Ehrman, Professor Bart Ehrman, he now believes that when you die, you cease to exist. If that's true, it's true. But it's not great news, is it? I would say it's very sad and disappointing news, don't you reckon? I mean, I wouldn't be jumping up and down for joy if I came to believe that that, that, that this is the truth. Hooray! I'm a molecular accident with no meaning or purpose. I mindlessly, meaninglessly started to exist and soon I'll cease to exist. Everything I think is valuable or important isn't in fact valuable or important. I have no future, I have no hope, I have no value. Whoopee! I wouldn't be too excited about it can't say that I'd bother to write 30 books about it either. In fact, in fact if, I, if I came to believe that that was the truth, that John is wrong and Jesus isn't real, I don't know why I'd bother getting out of bed in the morning. But it's not like that with this news about Jesus. This is, this is, this is brilliant news. Through Jesus, we know that we have eternal life. As J.I. Packer put it, I read this to you a couple of weeks ago, J.I. Packer said this, throughout our life in this world and to all eternity beyond, God will constantly be showing us in one way or another more and more of his love and thereby increasing our love to him continually. The prospect before the adopted sons of God is an eternity of love. Friends, that's glorious news. And praise God, it's true news, built on the eyewitness testimony of men like John. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your apostles, John 
and Peter and the others who knew Jesus face to face. Thank you that you empowered them with your spirit to tell the truth about Jesus. And thank you that they wrote it down in the New Testament so we can know the truth about Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful news that in the Lord Jesus Christ we have the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Help us to trust him and help us to delight in this good and true news. We pray it in Jesus' name.